0: Today, we are going to be uh, walking through this uh, story of Blind Bartimaeus. The title of today's message is Kingdom Healing. And if you've been paying attention throughout the course of Mark's gospel, you've seen a few times where Jesus has some sort of identity statement made, and then he goes into a healing moment. There's some sort of miraculous healing that takes place. This actually isn't done on accident. Mark is trying to help us understand that the kingdom of God and its king is about doing these things. And so this is a a, a pretty a pretty normal story uh, in terms of the scope of Mark's gospel, but there's a lot of really specific intricacies inside of this text as we're going to see that, that help us to understand what we're going to see. A big idea today is this, that God's kingdom requires us to look to Jesus in faith. It seems very Sunday school, and it's because it's supposed to be. We as Christians, we as church folk, can often get the wrong thing the wrong thing and not let the main thing be the main thing, Right? Jesus is the key, he's the focus, he's the king, and that's where we're going to spend our time. We need to look to him. See, in so many places in Mark's gospel, that theme of, uh, of healing keeps on coming up because Jesus is trying to prove who he is based on the things that he does. And Mark is, is continuing to bring us to this point of understanding this king is doing something that no other king has been able to do. But there's a, a sub-theme kind of tied into this. Most of the healings that Jesus does while physical, the majority of them take place in regards to sight, somebody's blindness or their ability to see. And in many places in Mark's gospel, uh, the same theme is used from a spiritual context that people don't see clearly. They don't see Jesus and his his ministry clearly. The disciples don't see his identity clearly. Uh, The people around him don't see the the method of his kingdom clearly. Clearly. And they don't understand truly the purpose of the kingdom and what they are actually supposed to be about. But whenever the kingdom is mentioned or the king is mentioned and, and the identity of Jesus is given, it's always tied to one of these areas of healing, specifically around sight. It starts most, most importantly in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, when Jesus heals a blind man. And then the very next statement that goes on is about Jesus' identity, where he asks the disciples, who do the people say that I am? If you remember that text from a couple months ago. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly identifies Jesus by his title, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, but then he doesn't understand what that means. And Jesus explains to him, my Messiahship means that I am going to suffer and I am going to die. And so that, it's, it kind of bookends with this healing of a blind man and where we are today in our text, another healing of a blind man. And this section from chapter 8, 22 through the end of chapter 10 is the longest discourse course, in any of the Gospels where we have the focus primarily on the kingdom of God and what it means for Jesus to be its king, what it means for him to suffer, what it looks like for him to provide what we need in his suffering, and how we as humans continue to get it wrong. Now it's not like we're trying to get it wrong, it's just so counterintuitive that for us to really grasp this, Jesus had to explain his identity, what it looked like for him to be the Messiah means that he is going to suffer and die, that because he suffers and dies, he's going to be God's king, that he explains explains his kingdom to the disciples again, and then he has to explain to them another time that I'm going to suffer and die, and then what it means to gain entrance into the kingdom of God, and then he shows them that because you want entrance, I still have to go and suffer and die. This hasn't ended. And then he talks about last week, as Pastor Kevin wonderfully walked us through, what the greatest in the kingdom looks like, that we are to be servants who give of ourselves in the benefit of others, because that's what Jesus does. That's the kingdom mentality. That's what we're supposed to be about. And then it ends with the same thing that it started with. See, Mark is a master storyteller. He spent a lot of time crafting this and trying to help us understand what it was that we were supposed to get. He's trying to prove a point. We need to see Jesus' kingdom clearly in order to be part of it, and then in order to participate in what he wants us to participate in. Make sense? Good. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to read the text this morning. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Please stand. This is the word of the Lord. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside and he was begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called the blind man and said, Cheer up on your feet, for he is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. So as we get into the passage today, it'd be very easy for us to just say, okay, well, we've seen healings and we've seen miracles of Jesus before, so we, we already understand what the text is about. And I want to actually posture to us that uh, we need to see the details between the healing and between the events more so than we do the actual healing itself. Now, the healing is amazing. The healing is miraculous, and that's, that's exactly a good thing to be focused on, but it's not the main thing to focus on in this text. So that's the passage, and this is, as we walk through it, I just want you to pay attention to this idea. What is the thing going on between the lines that we need to really understand? So then they, being Jesus and the disciples, they come to Jericho. Now this is not the Jericho of the Old Testament, because we read that story, we know what's going on there. This is the the next Jericho, and it was largely a very specifically uh, culturally relevant trade route. Uh, It was close-ish to Jerusalem. And it was a pretty well-known area. And so Jesus, he's going there with his disciples and a large crowd is going along with him. And as they were leaving that city, they find this blind man, Bartimaeus, that is son of Timaeus. Now, why does Mark have the need to say his name twice? Because Bar-Joseph means son of Joseph. Bar is just kind of like the title for son. He's saying... He's saying a couple things. It's possible that he's just saying, this guy is known to you because if you've traveled through Jericho, you've seen him before. He'd been on the roadside for however long as somebody that they had understood. But also Mark is writing to a largely Gentile Roman audience who didn't understand the uh, specifics around Jewish history and culture. So he's saying, this guy, this was, he was the son of this person who you may know, and he was sitting by the roadside begging. In this culture and context, if you had some physical deformity or you had some difficulty with something physical, the more than likely you were going to be a beggar. Uh, If if your family was able to take care of you, they would try to, but largely you were an outcast in society. But when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth coming near to him, he began to shout. And what it is that he begins to shout is actually really important. He says, Jesus, son of David, and then he makes a plea. Now, remember what I said at the beginning. Every time that we have this identity statement of Jesus, it's tied to the kingdom of God, right? It's tied to the kingdom of God, and it's tied to some sort of healing, uh, healing thing. But whenever Jesus is identified, he's generally only identified as rabbi, the number of times that Jesus has been correctly identified up to this point in Mark's gospel has only been three. This is the fourth one. And this comes from a man who doesn't know Jesus, hasn't seen Jesus, play on words, but also hasn't been around his ministry as he's been on the roadside begging. What's interesting is that Bartimaeus calls Jesus by his kingly title. What are we just talking about for the last two chapters? God's kingdom. And now this blind guy who hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth coming alongside the road correctly identifies Jesus by his kingly title. What's important to understand about this is that Bartimaeus, the man unable to see, sees rightly the identity of the king. The man who can't see physically, as we're going to notice in just a short time, does see Jesus spiritually in all the ways that count. And because he understands this Jesus, son of David mentality, he also understands that he can call for him to have mercy. He's crying out for mercy because he knows the stories that he's heard. Only Jesus can do the things that I require. I've heard the stories of how he healed this person. I've heard the stories of how he he touched this person's hand. I heard the story of how he he restored the leper's hand. I I understood the stories of when he, he made the lame man walk. See, one of the major texts in the Old Testament about the Messiah is in basically the entire book of Isaiah. In the Old Testament, there's the messianic statements, but Isaiah really kind of focuses down and helps us to understand what the Messiah was all about. Jesus, as he was in a synagogue once, he said this, as it's recorded, that he he quoted Isaiah 61.1. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's one of the, the most significant and major messianic statements and prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. Not less important is this one that comes earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 35. Speaking of the Messiah, of the king to come, he says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then the lame uh, will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Have we already seen all of those things take place in Mark's gospel? Right? He's, he's trying to help us understand something as Jesus continues his efforts to going towards the kingdom, going towards Jerusalem, the, the physical kingdom for the Jews. He is trying to help us understand there's a spiritual connection to this. This part of the healing ministry that Jesus is bringing about is the kingdom of God in the world. When Jesus came to the world in Mark chapter 1, it says, this is the beginning of the good news of the kingdom of God. And then the very next statement is, and he went about teaching and healing and preaching and doing these things. Part of the significance of Jesus' ministry and his time on earth as the king bringing in the kingdom was to do this, was to heal people. But most of the time when Jesus healed somebody, they had a wrong understanding of what the healing was for. It's always tied in Mark's gospel to the identity statements. Now, what Bartimaeus is doing is he's acknowledging not only is Jesus God, he is the long-awaited son of David, the the true Messiah, the second and the better David, the one who's going to sit on David's throne forever. And so this blind guy who can't see rightly is the only one yet who is seeing rightly. So let's compare this statement about the Son of David to the other statements of identity in Mark's gospel. Mark one one. This is just the intro, the thesis of the book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So here's the divine title. The demons in Mark one twenty four say, "What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? For we know who you are. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. A divine title." Peter makes the, tit- the title claim that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God in Mark chapter 8, 22. But then in this one, the blind man says, Jesus, son of David, his kingly title. It's really significant that Mark is doing this. He's trying to establish for us that there's something more going on than just a guy's going to get healed. We've got to read between the lines. So in all three of these passages, there's an identity statement. And if, you, if we're paying attention, kind of understanding the threads of how Mark is trying to help us understand what Jesus is about, what his kingdom was about, then healing has to be a significant part of it. And he's proving this by always attaching an identity statement to a healing. But what's interesting about this now is that this is going to be the end section of the ministry of Jesus or the proclamation of the kingdom of God. From Mark chapter 11 through to the end of the book is all about Holy Week. It's about all the things that Jesus does as he comes into Jerusalem, as he has his last week of ministry, but we we call Easter week or Passion Week. So this kind of ends the public ministry, in some senses, of Mark's gospel. And it's interesting that the last thing that's stated about Jesus' identity before we go into Holy Week is that this is God's king. And the very next text as Pastor Neil's going to walk us through next week is Mark chapter 11, verse 1, as he enters into Jerusalem as its true king. So this is what we have. This is what we're laid out with. And this is what happens when Bartimaeus shouts out, Son of David. Many rebuked him and hold him to be quiet, but he, Bartimaeus, continues to shout all the more the kingly title of Jesus. He was not willing to be silenced. Bartimaeus sees that Jesus is there. He wants to get close to him, and the disciples and the crowds continually get this idea wrong that Jesus' kingdom is for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for the downtrodden, for the rejected, and for the outcast. But Bartimaeus' faith is compelling him forward. The people rebuking him, trying to hold him back. He's saying, no, no, I'm not going to be silent. I need this man. I've heard the stories. I have to be near him. And so he refuses. He refuses. And he says basically this, David's king, Jesus of Nazareth. God's king, please have mercy on me. The word mercy that is here can easily be translated compassion. And every time that Jesus does a miracle in the gospel of Mark, barring one, he is moved to compassion in order to do it. That's what the text says. He's basically saying, please take pity on me, see my situation, and come alongside. And while the crowds are rebuking him, Jesus stops and says, what? Call him. This is the kingdom. This, this guy, from, in, in terms of a societal perspective, was rejected, was outcast, was marginalized, was, was kind of a hindrance, kind of a burden. And as the disciples are saying, no, 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 Jesus is too important for this kind of a situation, which they should have already understood because Jesus regularly stops his stuff to go and be with people who are hurting and marginalized. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to call this man. And so they do, they call him. And so they change their tune really quickly and they call to the blind man, cheer up. Well, it's kind of of a weird way to explain this. On your feet, he's calling you. The better translation of this is to take courage or to be confident. It's literally this idea of being confident. Because the king is calling you, you can be confident. Because the king is calling you to himself, you can be confident. They don't understand that, but Mark writes it in for us to understand it. Now, this could get overlooked, but what an absolutely beautiful moment of clarity for us. That Jesus, because his kingdom is for the hurt, because Jesus' kingdom is for the downtrodden, the outcast, the ignored, the marginalized, the rejected, he calls this man to himself because nobody else was going to call him. This is what God's kingdom is about. Take cheer, have confidence. The king is calling you, and this is his response. And may I submit to you that this should always be our response throwing aside his cloak, or let me say it this way, getting rid of anything that could keep us away from Jesus, he jumped to his feet and he came to him. Barring any possibility of a hindrance, he goes, no, 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 none of this other stuff matters. If he's calling me, I'm going to go. And Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Now, this question of Jesus asking him what you want me to do is, should ring true from last week. Right, Pastor Kev? There was the statement that the disciples made when they went to Jesus, James and John. You remember the story from last week? Uh, Jesus, uh, we want you to do for us anything that we ask. And Jesus asked them the exact same wording as here. What do you want me to do for you? They say, we want to be the most important people in your kingdom. We want to be the, the most important people. We want to sit at your right hand and we want to sit at your left hand. We want to be seen as, as the, the guys who really got it together. We want to be the guys who are, who are with you. Yes, absolutely. But we want to be seen for the fact that we've been with you. We want to be honored and elevated. Then Jesus goes into the whole statement about, well, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to serve and be slave of all. This guy in society's, societal perspective has been the slave of all. He's been beholden to the generosity of others because he's been begging on the side of the road. And Jesus asks the exact same question of the man who is going to ask him something simply in faith as he does the disciples who don't at all know what they're asking, right? And here's what the question I'm going to pose to us is. When do we do the same? When Jesus asks us this question, are we going to him with a bunch of the stuff that, hey, you better get this in line for me because this is what I want? Or these are the things that I really want. Are we we willing to see it from the perspective of God's kingdom that it actually doesn't make sense to our human minds and we're not actually right about how we're supposed to pursue the kingdom unless Jesus is the one that informs it? Because the disciples, they want what they want in the previous chapter. And this man wants Jesus for Jesus because of this next statement. He says, this, Oh, sorry, this is, this is the last week's passage. I forgot that I wrote this in here. James and John, sons of Zebedee, teacher, we want, what we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus asks the exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? And contrasting this next kingdom statement. This is what the blind man wants. Rabbi, responding exactly the same way as the disciples in the previous chapter, I want to See. This teacher statement, he is is submitting himself under the the, the tutelage, under the authority of Jesus as he's going to him saying, this is what I want. The ESV translates it a little bit better than the NIV. It says, I want to recover my sight. Whether that means that this man had always been blind or, or blind from a young age is probably more likely. But I want to posit something else to us. Who is he talking to? This guy has been marginalized, outcasted, rejected, He wants to see, and just put yourself in this position for a second. Could it be that he just physically wants to see so his life can get better? Probably. But he also rightly identifies Jesus with his kingly title. I would actually suggest to us that what this guy wants to see is who he's going to see. Could you imagine if the first thing that you saw after being crippled by your blindness for years and years is God's king, is God's Messiah, the only person who can rightly, effectively change what you need him to change? The one who in in himself wants and desires to give you everything that you need in him. This guy says, Rabbi, I want to see. And I would suggest to us that he's saying, I want to see you. Could you imagine being this blind man? No, I'm not, I'm not talking about being in his shoes during the course of his life and the difficulty that surrounded, but in this moment, having the potential to see the first thing that you see when Jesus heals you is God's king. Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then Mark uses his very favorite word in his gospel, and immediately Bartimaeus recovered his sight, and look at the response. He followed Jesus on the way. Other translations say that he followed Jesus immediately on the road. Well, where was the road leading? To Jesus going into Jerusalem as as king. Is Jesus going into Jerusalem to suffer and die on our behalf, to go alongside of him? He's basically saying, Jesus, I'm going to go your way now. In Greek, the word faith is pisis, and it means that you have been, you have enough faith, you have enough belief, you have enough trust. The healed you word, this word is really, really important, uh, has made you well or has healed you, is the Greek word sozo. It actually means salvation. He's saying your faith has made you be saved. That's the actual literal connotation of the Greek here. Your, your faith has made you whole, has healed you, has made you be saved. And immediately, as I said, Mark's favorite use and favorite word in his gospel is to suggest to us that nothing was going to hinder this man anymore. Throwing his cloak aside, he's getting to Jesus. Jesus has called him, he's going to be with Jesus. He understands the kingdom, he's going to be with Jesus. When Jesus heals him, he's going to be with Jesus. And this is actually the first time that this happens in Mark's gospel. Every other healing account, Jesus either sends somebody away to go and be a missionary to another place or tells them, go and say this to your family or go tell us to your family or just straight out tells them, don't make this public. This is the first time we have somebody who's going to go with Jesus. Nothing is going to hinder him any longer. But one of the major questions and issues that can arise in this type of verse is this. Go on your way, your faith has made you well. Because if you wanted to, you could make this verse say that God always heals people who have the right kind of faith. Right? You could look at this verse and go, your faith has made you well, Bartimaeus. If we wanted to make it prescriptive and not descriptive, we could say, well, in this case, this means that Jesus, if I have the right kind of faith, Jesus is always going to heal me. If I have the right kind of faith, if I trust really hard, if I've got got faith like a mustard seed, I'm not trying to belittle what Jesus says, but this is not a, a prescriptive statement to say we can just make the Bible say what we want it to say for us. Because how many of us have gone to God in prayer asking him to heal and he doesn't? Is it your fault your faith's not enough? Is that what we're saying when the healing doesn't come through? Are we, say, are we trying to suggest to people that if, if you just believed more, if you just prayed harder, if you just fasted more, if you're just, you just, you just placing all the blame and all the burden, all the perspective on the person who's asking and pleading God for something that they desperately want. Because we can make the Bible say whatever we want with a statement like this. Here's what you need to know about this. God can and does heal physical limitations and sickness and disease and infirmities and he does it all the time but he doesn't do it every time. God does heal people as a result of their faith placed into his will to heal, as we see right here in the text. Are we supposed to suggest that this is just made up? This is just some story to make us feel good? Well, it can't be that, because if that's the case, then this is all just a charade, and what are we doing? When James says we are to go and ask our elders to come and pray for the sick, it's a command to go and do, because when we pray in faith, God can and does heal. But he doesn't always. God doesn't always heal physical limitations. And so we pray fervently. As Pastor Kevin said last week, there's a difference between a command and a demand and a request. We request that God heals. We ask him because he's capable of doing so, but we need to plead with open hands asking him to do so and that if he doesn't, we change our prayers to please give me faith and courage to trust you in it anyway. My family's going through this right now. One of my best friends and mentors, and, old, and like an older brother to me, is dying of cancer. And we have prayed, asking God to heal him, that the chemo would work. And it hasn't my prayer's not good enough. Let me tell you, it feels like that, doesn't it? When you're in that spot, when you're in that moment, God, please heal this, God, please do this, God, please be in this, God, please fix this. It feels like that. And these times when God doesn't heal, we need to understand that in his infinite wisdom, beyond our understanding, he allows our prayers for healing to go unanswered for his purpose, not our own. And in these times, it hurts. Deeply, it hurts. And if we have a view of God that he is some distant being, uninterested in the difficulty and pain of our lives, we can easily see this as unloving or uncaring or disinterested, and at worst, even evil. Pastor Charles used to say this all the time. When you can't see God's hand, trust in God's what? His heart. Because the heart of God is for the hurting and the sick and the marginalized, the oppressed, the downcast, the lowly, the rejected. His heart is always a heart of care. And the spiritual implications of this are massive. When when Jesus heals us spiritually of our sin, of our spiritual death, or rebellion against God, it is immediate. Paul says that we have now become a new creation. The old is dead, the new is born. He's given us a new heart. He has healed us. And the response should be the exact same as this man who is coming in faith, asking that Jesus would do what he's capable of. Please heal me. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer fervently. But we also need to understand that sometimes God doesn't for his own purposes. And I wish I could give you an answer as to why he doesn't. But I don't. I don't have that answer. What do we learn from this passage? Most importantly for us as we apply it is this. God's kingdom welcomes the marginalized. The crowds wanted to keep the blind man away. Jesus invites him to himself. The crowds wanted to keep the distraction at bay, and Jesus wanted the man to be near to him. That's all he requested. So God's kingdom welcomes the marginalized. Second is this, that God's, key, God's kingdom invites us unhindered. Remember the man's response? Throwing aside his cloak, getting to his feet, running to Jesus, nothing is going to stop him. Jesus, and, and for the practical implications of this, for us today, we could say, when we invite people to Jesus, when we need to go to Jesus ourselves, we get to leave our baggage where it is and go to him because he doesn't want to have to see us struggle with it. He's willing to pick it up for us and get rid of it on his own. We can leave it there and ask him to be with us in it because he wants us to come to him unhindered. Now, this doesn't mean that we clean up ourselves before we go to Jesus because none of us can. None of us can. We go to Jesus because we have all this stuff, because we need somebody to fix it, and we simply ask with open hands, Jesus, can you keep this hindrance off of me? Lastly, that God's kingdom follows Jesus in faith. Blind man was healed, he saw God's king, and his response was, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Wherever he would lead me. Wherever he would lead me. Regardless if it's in healing or if it's not. As I was putting together this message a few weeks back before I went away, I figured it was probably an appropriate time to invite us to pray for you. As a church, all the time, our our elders and staff, when when Ben or Pastor Kevin or Pastor Neil comes up here and says, uh, we believe in prayer here, we want to pray for you, Please, please let us know how we can pray for you. One of our elders comes down at the front at the end of a service if somebody needs to be prayed for. We've done this in the past because there are hurts and pains going on in our world, in your world, in my world. What James, the brother of Jesus, says, is that is any of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, for the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. It can do it. When we pray, God does act.